Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our, yeah, I know, very special Sunday Mailbag Edition. I'm Scott Phillips, the Chief Investment Officer here at the Motley Fool Australia, and I'm joined by Andrew Page, the Managing Director of Strawman.com. G'day, buddy. How are you? I'm very good. Very good on this lovely Sunday, and it is special as always, <laughs> mate. You are dead right It is say. always special. And I'm not going to ask you what strawman.com is because you're going to tell me it's a private investment club and blah, blah, blah. We'll get through that. Uh, strawman.com, strawman.com. There you there go. There you go. Plug. Um, <laughs> mate, we've got some great questions this week. I'm actually looking forward to getting into them. A really good range of different uh, different topics and different ideas from people. So let's start with um, uh, let's start with Ma- uh, uh, Frank. Frank says, um, <laughs> you'll like this, mate. Uh, I'm in my 60s and retired. Andrew and you have different opinions for investment ideas for, for us old greybeards. The general consensus advice is to be safe and buy dividend shares that approximate 4% return to go with a super 4% compulsory drawdown and drift slowly to heaven's waiting room. (laughs) This attitude, says Frank, is total bunkum. Many retirees have invested well and after downsizing the house have a million dollars in super in the pension phase. A 4% drawdown is $40,000. But why shouldn't we increase risk and get that return up above 10%, maybe to 15%? With quality ETFs like the NASDAQ 100 ETF and innovative companies like PointsBet, EnviroSuite and Big Tin Can. Mm. 10% return gives us 100 grand to blow each year (laughs) on souped up mobility scooters and world travel. (laughs) At age 65, says Frank, our life expectancy is is more than 20 years. Blowing 100 grand per year for the next two decades sounds like a great way to go and worth the added risk. Why is there so much advice for retirees to de-risk and live frugally? You young people, says Frank, just have your eyes on the inheritance. <laughs> that's, a, that's a reasonable yes. polemic. Yeah, don't it? spend it, Frank. Don't spend it. Give it to your kids. I, I, I will say, mate, for what it's worth, I, the, best part of that, the best part of that question for me is he called us young people. That's cool. Which awesome. makes me feel pretty good. I love it. I'll take that every day. Love it. Frank, I'm not sure what you said. You called me young. Thank you very much for your there was a, There was a stage um, in my it? life where I would have said, thought, 65, that is ancient. And it's like, now it's, my, yeah, it's not that. It's actually, I still look at that as pretty young. I still remember my old man's 40th and thought, oh, God, I'll never be that old. <laughs> <laughs> if only I, 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 what I'd give to be 40. Oh, yeah. oh mate. Mm. Anyway, mm. it's, uh, yes, yeah. There, there is something about, you know, we probably should, uh, as much as we uh, lament not being younger, at some point we'll look back at this age and say, yeah, we should be that age again. And we are now, so let's, uh, yes. let's be optimistic Very and make sure we use, the, use our time wisely, although you and I are both in lockdown, so wisely is, is a, a limited, <laughs> it has limited capacity. So over it. Let's mm. get to Frank's question, though, mate, because it's a good one. Um, I, I think you're. I think you're slightly taking liberties with characterising Andrew and my approach. To this, Frank, to, to be fair, but <laughs> yeah. I will. I will. I will uh, take the question as asked. Uh, it's a good one, mate. Four percent. Keep it simple. Make sure you got the money. See out your retirement in style. Maybe leave money for the kids. Maybe not. Or up the risk. Up the return. And uh, soup up your mobility scooter. What do you reckon? <laughs> I think the best point that Frank made there was life expectancy. It's. I yeah. run into so many. Um, people of that generation who it's it's kind of a defeatist attitude it's like oh i can't afford to and i don't have that much long mm-hmm. left and it's like well actually 20 years is a hell of a long time you know um so i agree i agree i am absolutely on board with frank i think that why settle for four mm-hmm. percent now i'm not saying go for something ridiculous <laughs> and take ridiculous <laughs> right. risks but I would uh, we, we talk about it all the time. We should almost make this a drinking yeah. game, but we always yeah. talk about that average return of the market of 10% over a 20-year time frame. <laughs> you know, investing yeah. in just something very broad. I mean, yeah, I agree. The only proviso here is is that you all of that is true, but what is also true is that the market can get into real funks for a real long period of time. 
And the last time you want to be withdrawing down on your capital base is during those times because yep. it's the opposite of buying low and selling high. You're selling low. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. So it will depend on yeah. your personal situation, how much cash that you have. But I think one, beyond a certain yeah. point, as long as you can know that there's no great financial stress during the inevitable recessions, during the inevitable bear markets and the rest of it, yep. then yeah, absolutely. Go, go. Oh, I shouldn't say go to town. <laughs> Don't go to town. <laughs> but but why not? And, and there's also, there's-, there's Responsibly a social distance with the market. And there's a spectrum here too. It's not like you have yeah, to be yes. only just term deposits and bonds yeah. and at the other end, you've got hyper-speculative mining companies and biotech companies. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could have a portfolio which has a real mix Maybe you should skew the mix more towards that that mm, more conservative mm, side. You, you probably should. But does that mean that you can't have 5, 10, 20% in something that's a little bit more spicy if you want to use that term, but at the same time not, mm. not without investment merit? I don't know. I think I think Frank makes some excellent points. I agree. Um, I think this is why this is why I have sl- I take slight exception to Frank's characterization. Um it's, it's a question of, so he may actually be referring to Everlasting Income, which is the service I run for the Motley Fool, where we do take 4% out. So I assume that might be Frank's um, point. Um, we we have a, an approach which basically says take 4% out um, and Frank, plus Frank credits, by the way. So we don't include those numbers because we, so boring inside baseball story. At the Motley Fool, we don't get the Frank credits. We can't use them in the same way as the portfolio. So for our, the portfolio we run on behalf of members, where we show members to say, hey, you can do this too. We invested a million bucks. Um, we take out a 4% cash income stream every year and we assume that our, our members take franken credits on top of that, which is probably another 1%, one, 1.5%. One mm. So firstly, I'd say, Frank, the first thing is with a million dollars, you don't have to just get 4%. Even if you get a 4% yield, you could probably get 5 or 5.5%, including franken credits. You're already from 40 to 55 for starters. The second thing, I suppose, is the portfolio is growing. And so we, to some degree, we're using that to future-proof against inflation because 100 grand now is not going to be 100 grand in 20 years' time. Um, so that's worth being mindful of. The second thing, of course, is that if you think about the way that that kind of flows out over time, if we get if we reinvest that into the, the companies and take four percent of a higher portfolio value, for example, that portfolio is now one point two million dollars rather than the million dollars we started with, and we've taken out forty grand a year on the way through. So you know, four percent of the one point two is obviously a higher number mm. than four percent of the million dollars. So you're kind of growing the asset base, you're potentially growing the income over time as well. So that's all that's all absolutely true. And so when you think about total return for the portfolio, that's different from how much cash you want to draw down. My only challenge to well, two challenges I have to mark, I suppose. The first is if you get it right, you get your ten or fifteen percent. If you get it wrong, you don't want to go backwards. And so my my both my mother and my mother in law are in retirement. I've said to them both, Hey, I don't care if you spend your last dollar that day before you die. It's not about the inheritance, but remember that you can't, as long as you're you know, unless you're gonna work again, can't add to the nest egg. This is the maximum amount of money you're gonna have to invest now. And you don't want to jeopardize it, right? There's, you know, Buffett talks about people risking what they have and need for what they don't have and don't need. So, you know, if, if I could, if the range of outcomes trying to go for growth is plus 15 or minus 20, mm, yeah. <laughs> or, or you can get a reasonably safe, reasonably safe you know, five and a half income plus a couple of percentage points of capital growth, well, you've got to decide which, which risk you want to take. So, Frank, if you were, if you were to go, if you had to sell your mobility scooter because you ran out of money, because uh, you took some punts that didn't come off, you can't re-add to the nest egg. And once you start dipping into the capital, you can't add back to it. So you're actually, you're working with a burning platform. That's, you know, the burning candle, mm-hmm. if you like. The wick's getting lower and lower. If, you know, if you, once you start pulling down the capital, once you start spending more than your investments are earning, you're kind of on a one-way path to zero. Now, maybe you get, maybe you leave this mortal coil before you hit zero. My biggest risk for, if I think about my mother and mother-in-law is, I don't want, Mark's 20-year uh, life expectancy at 65. It's actually more than that. 
The average life expectancy for someone born is 85, but that includes infant mortality, car accidents, unfortunately suicide, cancers. And all. By the time you get 65, your life expectancy is probably 30 years. So if you, if you have a 20-year spending plan, you get to 85, good, let's put my last dollar. And then you spend the next 5, 10, 15 years going, oh, man, this pension's not great, is it? Um, that'd be my only concern, Frank. So I, I absolutely get your point. I'm not going to tell you what you sure shouldn't do. It's completely up to you. All I would say is if it was me, I'd rather know I had a dollar more than I needed rather than a dollar less than I needed in, in terms of money left in the bank after I'd spent my money. So I wouldn't want to be spending down the capital um, other than the last maybe 10 years of my life. And because you can't know that, to your point, Andrew, mm. that's kind of why I'd be a little bit concerned. So mate, knock yourself out. Mm. Just if you spend your last dollar on your 85th birthday and you die at 85 and two days and you know, you've, you've timed it beautifully. If you lived to 95, and you spend your last 10 years wishing you'd sp- saved more money or hadn't spent quite so much or have been a little more conservative, then, again, that's a question you need to ask for yourself. Um, but as you say, it, it's, you know, I, I, don't, I don't... Go for it. If, if my mother and mother-in-law want to spend their money, they, I'm not going to say don't do it. I am going to say just be careful because there's no more coming. So just be mindful of the impact of, you know, if you're in the capital, what that means for your ability to earn a, a return. Mm. Um, but I, I'm just conservative by nature, not on my behalf. I don't, I don't care if she gives the inheritance to the dog's home. Uh, well, I mean, I do. I'd like it, but you know what I mean. Um, I just want to make sure she got money left to spend on that last day, last week, last month, last year of her life, not spend the last few years in relative poverty because she went too hard to her. Yep, yep. I love it. I, cool. Thank you, Mark. That's a good question. Was it Mark right. or Frank? I thought it was Frank. Oh, uh, Frank. Sorry, Frank, Frank, Frank. Sorry, mate. Uh, yeah, I was just going to make a anything? point. I, I, just just yeah, to please. be fair to Frank, I mean, I don't think he's saying like, I'm going to do anything crazy with it, but just certainly I can make a step more towards... I think I think that's 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 absolutely sensible. I completely agree. The other way you can do it, by the way, is is use a two. You talk about sort of a mix, Andrew. The other way you can do it is basically make sure you're covered for the minimum for the the basics with with part of your portfolio. So get you know, so you're thirty, you might put you might want to get thirty grand a year rather than forty in in something more conservative. And if you get more than that in a given year, then knock yourself out. Go and spend if if Pointsman has a good year or Environment has a good year, and you earn another you know twenty grand, then by all means spend that amount if you Mm -hmm. want to. Um, Maybe maybe rather than feel like you have to be absolute about the maximum you, or the only amount you've got to spend every single year from now to eternity. Just, you know, if you, what do they say? Smoke if you've got them. Yep. Um, you know, if, you, if, you've, if, you've got the, if you've got the money, you might as well spend it as long as you keep your nest egg in a, in a good enough condition to keep delivering for the rest yep. of your life. Well said. All right, mate, here's one from Peter. Hi, Scott. I always tune into the Friday pod and do my best, however, there are only so many hours in the week to listen to your Sunday mailbag. <laughs> Especially if they go well, for two hours. Yeah. Mate. <laughs> So, 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 Peter, I appreciate that, but mate, you've asked a question. I'm going to answer it in the mailbag. You might not even hear it, so I'm not even sure if I should. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I hope you are listening, though, Peter. I, I've, we are answering the second question, so I hope that you've at least listened this far to the podcast. Of course, like, you should spend more time with more of the podcast, but it is what it is. Uh, you said yourself and Ram are always great to listen to. I've got a question. I was hoping you may have some advice, some ideas, general advice. Of course, he says. You know what? I don't think we've made an impact on anyone else except everybody knows that we can't give personal advice, Andrew. So that's something. That's something. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if they're listening to our investing advice. I'm not sure if they're doing what we say. They at least know not to ask for personal advice. So that's Good. a win. Uh, Peter says, my mum has indicated she would be keen to help fund some shares for my three sons who are two, five and seven years old. Mate, what, talk about it. what a great grandma. That's Brilliant. Awesome. The strategy, says Peter, would be to invest in one ETF, such as the Vanguard Diversified High Growth Index ETF, and at a later stage down the track, one or two thematic ETFs, such as HACK, which is the Cyber Security ETF, or RBTZ. I don't know that one. Ro- robotics must be, I think. I, oh, yes. If I kind of try and guess what the acronym, acronym might yep. be, by beta shares. My question is, what is the best way to invest this money for all three boys to keep the amount separate while also reducing brokerage costs? 
My mum would like to start with an amount of 500 bucks for the youngest, 1000 for the middle child and 1500 for the eldest. After the initial investment, she would provide $50 a month to them each to be dollar cost average into the ETFs. There you go. So she says, okay, my wife and I use Westpac as our broker, so one option would be to hold all the ETFs in one portfolio for the boys and worry about how to divide it when they reach a milestone. Um, talks about that. Um, or he's also saying the other way is to do it in separate accounts, keep the amounts separate. Good question. Um, what do you reckon, mate? Yeah, it comes up a few uh, often. This one, actually, it's just it's yeah. just really hard to invest for kids. It's just a lot of mucking yeah. around. You can buy. Do you sh- can buy them though, or do you separate them? What do you? I, do you I, I, make sure I, well, look, this and- is just again, it's not advice. It's just what I do. Mm. I, I thought very heavily, obviously, given what I do about that for my kids. And I, I, I don't mm. have a single share in their name. <laughs> so <laughs> that being bastard. that being unbelievable. Well, you got a chance to set your kids up for life, and they got nothing. It's just a bloody hassle. It's, and when you think about it, they're just different. <laughs> Sorry, kids are a hassle. Just, I hope your kids ever listen oh, to this podcast, man. We'll, we'll delete this one after a couple if of years. You've got them. You know what I mean. Um, <laughs> it just, it just, it's just about putting a. I mean, the money is the money is the money is the shares is the shares. Yeah. It's just to put a different label. So yeah, you got to th- think about yeah. sort of the legal structure and the tax structure and the rest of it. But um, mm. for for me, so we actually years ago set mm. up a, a trust. So we put all our investments mm. in that. So that mm. that makes it. But so just everything is in there, and they will get yeah. what they get when they get it. <laughs> and yeah, it, so it's sort of like it, if, if I want to put a, a, a ring fence, a certain amount of that, and put a certain mm. name mm. on it, that's great. Um, but as long yeah. as as long as you. Uh, Got that intention. I just, I just find it uh, mm-hmm. procedurally, procedurally and paperwork wise easier than all the dicking yeah. about you have to do with designating shares in miner's name. But I'm, I'm, I'm lazy. What do you, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, this is hard. So Peter, I would. So I, I will. I won't speak too much about my own personal circumstances because not mine. They're my sister's. Uh, but she's invested some money for their kids. And again, hopefully, kids don't listen to this podcast either because they don't know that yet. Um, so I'll assume that they won't. They're not listening. Uh, and we've decided to put it in one account. Uh, and honestly, we haven't even worked out yet how we're going to divide it up at that milestone age. Um, but effectively, my sister's like, got some money. I want to invest it for the kids. I'm like, cool. Uh, to keep it simple, we put it in her name and with the designation of uh, – we well, didn't even designate it, actually. Just in her name outright. Mm. Um, you can do as trustee for right. and name the kids, mm. which is absolutely doable. It doesn't actually make that much difference other than if they're going to if you're going to transfer the shares without them being sold at some point, it makes it easier to do the transfer without yes. incurring capital gains yep. tax. So we just went with straight her name. Um, the money's in there for the kids. There's a decent range actually of ages between the kids. And so at some point in the next couple of years, we're going to have to start thinking about how to divvy it up at some future point. I think um, we'll probably guesstimate an amount um, in terms of how that money might be added up. So let's say there's, I'll pick a number, um, three kids. Let's say there's 15 grand at the end of it. So by the time the oldest gets to 21, there might be 15 grand in the account. Let's just make that, make that, make that assumption. Um, we might say, okay, well, the youngest is a few years younger. Let's assume we can get for, to about six grand each for each kid by, by some future point. So the first kid gets, ten, gets six, the next kid gets six when he's a bit older, and the last one gets you know, six when she's a bit older. And you know, if you can approximate it roughly, you'll end up giving them roughly the same amount of money at that age. Rather than starting with X dollars and trying to work out how to keep each amount separate individually, you kind of want to treat, well, my, our view was you want to treat the kids equally at the point you give them the money rather than worrying about how you keep it separate now. Because frankly, I'm not going to tell you what to do or not to do, but the five and seven-year-old, one's getting you know, one and a half times make as much, point, even, though he's only, yeah. even though he's only two years older, that's a that's a remarkable return over two years. Now, it might, it, frankly, it would have been justified over the last couple of years because the market's gone nuts, particularly in the last 12 months. But um, yeah, I would, I would... I wouldn't be too clever about putting it in. I would, frankly, because and they're really close, like two, five, and seven. By the time the seven-year-old gets to twenty-one, you'll have a really good sense of what the account balance is at that point, and you can kind of take roughly a third of it, even if you took an absolute third, 
and then a, ne- a second third when the next one gets old enough and the, and the third third later. And if there's money left over, just simply divide it up amongst the, the three kids. By the way, kids, hey, guess what? There's an extra three grand in the account. Here you go, here's some money each. Mm. Um, I, think, I think that's what I would focus on. So I would put it in the name of the lowest earning income earner. Uh, so you minimise, not minimise tax, but you pay less tax. Um, whether you want to put it as trustee four, I wouldn't bother because you're probably not going to be able to divide it up and share it with each of the three kids separately in that structure without capital gains tax. It's possible, but it might be a bit messy. And again, we don't do tax advice, right? So you might want to speak to an accountant. Um, but I would I would put it all in one account, put it in the name of the lowest income earner. I wouldn't bother with that as trustee four, but you can. And then at 21, you sell some of the shares, give the kids the cash, uh, and make sure that you, you're under doing it just slightly so that when the third child gets the money, they get the same dollar amount as the two elder siblings. And if there's money left in the account, you go, great, congratulations, kids. Here's another thousand bucks each you weren't expecting. Mm. And that's how I'd probably do it. But the, the, the one, it's, all, it's all it's messy, but that's what yeah, I do. Yeah, I think it's easiest. I just I just as long as you're doing it, that's the that's the main thing, right? And I think that's what I love about yeah. this. The, pe- the people people <laughs> exactly, are thinking about yes, that yes. over like the yeah. time the d- time frames of a decade. The only the other thing you need to watch out for with designation designating mm. um, particular shares to particular people, and again, anyone who's got kids will know this, is that imagine <laughs> if you know you did it uh, 21 years ago, and for one kid yeah. you bought. Fortescue medals, and for the other kid, you bought <laughs> yeah, that's failed right. delisted company X. Yeah, said, hey kids, yeah, we both we yeah. put some money in for you both when you were young. And oh, little Johnny, I'm I'm sorry, you've got nothing. But Susie, you've got fifty million dollars. You know, yeah. it's sort of it's just nice. It's, yeah. it's everything needs to be even. <laughs> I think even, even age. If you put the money, think about where the money comes out. Right. Let's assume you're taking somebody on the out of the account. In, in, in March last year, because that's when the child turned 21, the market has fallen 38%. And the second child, they're two years apart, right? So yep. we're now four months, five months away from the next kid getting the money. The market's up 50% from that yeah. point. Even that, even if you bought the same investments, yep. when you cash them out in, in dollar terms, yep. and again, it's up to you. Like your, your family, you can manage it your way. But I would I would go to absolute pains to make sure the kids get the same dollar amount each on their birthdays, rather, that whatever birthday you choose or whatever time you choose, rather than rather than trying to be too clever about being... Oh, well, this is, you know, technically, literally, theoretically, this is what we invested for you, this is how much you earn, this is how much you get. Makes perfect sense. Yep. I would vote for family harmony rather than mathematical perfection if, uh, if it was me. It erodes the very value. I mean, you're doing this wonderful special thing for your kids. In under, and when you do it, even it's like, oh, wow, thanks, mum, thanks, grandma. Yeah, that's... Yeah, oh, I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want it to turn into, oh, my brother got... <laughs> Three percent more than me, which is what it's going to become. So, as I say, exactly. if, you've, if you've had exactly. any experience with kids or just people in general, keep it even and save yourself the grief later on. If you, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not a big believer in ESP or anything like that, but just just a really random tangent aside, Peter has literally just hit me up on Facebook to say, "Sorry, I should have mentioned I wanted you uh, wanted you to ask into this for the podcast." Ah. Literally, as we're recording the answer, that is what are the odds? Like, he sent me the question through on last. I sent the question through on Tuesday. It just so happens we're recording the answer right now and he says, sorry, I should have mentioned it was for the podcast. Wow. That is bizarre. Wow. Coincidence. Go. Make of that what you will. Isn't it? Uh, it oh, yeah. oh, maybe there's something bigger out there. <laughs> it's all the 5G chips we've all got now, That's isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. Well, yeah, cool. I am vaccinated. The mic's really yeah, Okay, mate, it makes sense. All right, let's get another question. Um, this one comes from Rory and uh, I will disclose I'm a Blackmore shareholder, uh, but Rory has has had a painful time of it, as have I, uh, since buying the shares. So Rory just simply says, um, uh, Scott, as a long-suffering Blackmore shareholder, can I request that you and Andrew cover the results sometime this week on the podcast? So I thought that was a reasonable question and I'm a, I'm a fellow long-suffering shareholder, Rory, so uh, I, I, feel, I feel your pain. Um, the results were out this week, they were actually pretty good. The, the share price bounce back was largely a bounce back from 
um, low low expectations. We mentioned on Friday some companies did a bit better than than was expected, uh, and and numbers went through the roof share price wise. It was a pretty good bounce back result. Uh, the result isn't going to break the bank either way. It's not a uh, I don't think it's yet a confirmation or a justification of management strategy, nor is it as bad as it could have been. I think you'll find businesses like Blackmore's A2, even Treasury to some degree, um, just because the bleeding stops, you know, declines stop at some point and then you start to get growth again because the decline just simply stops. And if you think about the impacts that each had for different reasons or slightly different reasons in product going to China, either directly or indirectly, uh, 12 months on or 18 months on from the, from the start of COVID, I think you'll see over the next four or five months, just you simply cycle on that stuff, right? Cycling on a lower number means you can start growing again. And it, and it seems to me because that's gone to zero fast, um, you're just on a new base. And to my mind, it starts to recover. I don't think the bounce back was frankly as big as it should have been, nor do I think the fall should be as big as it should have been because the market does tend to overweight um, recent results. We've talked about that on Friday mm. and underweight the long term. Uh, and so I think honestly, it should have been more expensive. So look, were the results worthy of a 15% share price jump? No. But was the previous share price too low? I also think the answer is yes. So it might be a market simply correcting a previous mistake in my mind. Hey, do you have a look at the results? I'm, I'm, I'm rapidly scrolling through the presentation as you speak. I, I haven't <laughs> okay. followed Blackmores for a while. Um, yeah. Jeez, mate. I don't know. It has been a tough one, hasn't it? You don't like it? Um, oh, okay. Oh, I just, I just look historically, right? Like the, the, you know, the earnings per share has basically gone nowhere in almost 10 years, right? Sort yeah, of gone up and then down right. and... This is, we talked about this in a previous podcast, the sort of double-edged sword that yeah. is China, you know, that is yeah. just like, man, it's such a giant, I don't think any of us really comprehend just how huge a market that is. And just winning mm. a small part of that can be massive. But at the same yeah, time, exactly, we've won, yeah. you know, if, if that falls away, it's, it's everything. Yeah. So yes. I'll ask you as yes. someone who follows it much more closely, is mm. this mm. a story of uh, a very well-run company you know, doing well here in Australia, but a much more mature business that just failed mm-hmm. failed to continue its momentum in China. Is that is that the overarching story here? I don't. Well, so here's the problem, mate. I I think investors. Are, well, so the, let me I'll rephrase this. I think there's a. I think we're all armchair critics, <laughs> and I think um, that that goes both ways. We get we are we're armchair fanboys and we're armchair haters, and and often somewhere in between, obviously. But kind of, you know, largely there. Blackboard has been at this price for about five years. Mm. So the bounce back was to some degree a recognition that they've, they've kind of, you know, come back to something that simply approximates normality. Mm. So here's the thing about, here's the, here's the problem. If the market wants, and it does, regular, flat, so steady, increasing up the staircase kind of idea, you know, profit goes up by 10% a year every year consistently. We all think we love that. We all pay overs for that. Um, and it's, hey, who wouldn't want regular constant growth, right? That's perfectly fine. Um, there's another group of companies out there that are cyclicals, which mean by definition they are cyclical. Their earnings rise and fall with the economy or with commodity prices or with something else. And we kind of know that. And so we buy and sell that kind of accordingly. In Blackmore's case, they had the chance to make some sales and they made those sales. They took the chance. And then subsequently those sales opportunities went away and so sales went back to some degree of previous normality. And that's kind of the story. Now, some, you know, if you look at the share price, oh, it's down X percent or... Even the, even the earnings are down X percent. That must be a terrible business. It must be a bad business, badly run. Uh, sales have fallen. Profits fallen. What a terrible thing. The business obviously sucks. And I think that's I think that's an, a misunderstanding of the business, not by you, but by mm. people who will, who will see the price rise and fall and, and fling around because of that. Because 
here's the thing. If, if the, the alternative was for Blackmore to say, oh, there's a, chi- there's a chance to, to sell some stuff to China or to the suitcase trade of Chinese expats, let's not do that in case they go away and the market doesn't like the fact that profit subsequently falls. Mm. If you're running Blackmore's as a private company for cash and someone said, hey, here's some sales. You can make some sales of profit in the next couple of years. I can't promise you it's going to go forever, but you can make some money now if you mm. want. You're not going to say... Oh, no, I won't because then in 2021 or 2020, profit might go backwards and the market will hate it, so I'm not going to make the sales. Mm. It's kind of a complete perversion of, of the market to imagine that that a company should have said, you know what, I don't want the sales just in case they go away and the market's not going to like that. But yet that's how we kind of punish yep. Yep. a business like Blackmores. Now, I want to say a business, not the business at all, they don't care, but the share price of a business like Blackmores, but, it, but it's not just a downside story because it goes both ways, right? Can I- Where the problem- yeah. Oh, so I hear what you're saying and I agree with it. But on that logic, can you make the argument that what the market has been doing with the share price falling is actually recognising previous misconceptions? So that should have they should have they yeah, taken the absolutely. sales? Absolutely. Did they do really well out of yep. it when, when it was raining, you yep. know, raining money? Yeah, absolutely they did. But the market mm-hmm. and where investors have, have, have potentially gone bad is in experience extrapolating yep. that. It's like, oh, okay, I'm like, yes, next correct. year it's going to be even better and better. No, it, as it turns out, it didn't. Exactly. Was the business wrong to try and do that and make make hay while the sun was shining? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But yep. that's a separate one. I would. That's a separate point I would make to where investors right or wrong to assume yes, meaningful, sustained, long, high, hyper, long runway, hyper growth kind yeah, of scenarios. Yeah. And that, that I think we could probably say looks looks like what has happened. Now we're in a different situation now. Mm-hmm. And and yep. although I would sort of say it just seems having a look around, like they're still on a P of of ninety. Um is that right? Mm-hmm. So it still seems I mean that's obviously depressed earnings, so maybe they come back up a little bit. If you go back to twenty nineteen right. earnings, it puts it on a P of thirty five, but it's still Right. I don't know. I, is it still? I, I didn't mean to interrupt your point. Just just to make that no, that, no, go, that go one on. there, but then also to sort of say, okay, fine, that's how it's yep. gone. And just because I haven't, I'm, I'm asking <laughs> more for yeah, my own yeah. information here. What yeah, are sure. what are their current ambitions on on China? Do they? I mean, they're still making some money there, or is it, is it just that they're pulling out altogether, or it's just much more conservative expectations, hopes? What's what's the go? So here's the thing, mate. This is where it gets a little bit challenging because. You ask the question partly rhetorically, um, you know, we're, we're investors wrong to extrapolate and we don't know the answer yet. So I think that's mm. the, this is the problem with Blackmores mm. is to, I, I gave the example and I was kind of going to try and hopefully wrap it up. Maybe I would have done badly, so I'm glad you interjected. Um, we, we don't know what happens next. Mm. So, you know, was the market wrong to bid the price up? Probably not because unless you expected COVID, <laughs> you know, the, the, problem, the problem with Blackmores is um, the Chinese in country demand has actually grown. The, what's hurt them is, so China's segment revenue, for example, is up 27.8% in the last year, right? The problem was the, the suitcase trade went away. And it went away because China basically said, to, you know, well, we didn't let people in or out. Um, China was the same. And so COVID literally stopped international travel, which was a large component of that so-called suitcase trade, the Daigu traders, same for A2 Milk, mm, by the way. Yep. I own shares in both those companies. Um, for exactly the same reasons. The, the, a lot of their Australian sales, which we thought were Australian sales, were actually sales made to us in Australia to Australian retailers and to, to customers in Australia, but Socket was then subsequently exported. So the Australian revenue was actually down fourteen percent, mm. but China revenue was up twenty eight percent. Now you're not, there's not there's not fourteen percent fewer Australians have taking Blackmore's vitamins. So the question really for us is what price is right to play for Blackmore's? The answer somewhere like well it depends how many Chinese tourists and students come back to Australia mm. and how much stuff they send home. Because we only won't know that for two years, right? So when, when tourism gets back to some sort of normal, whatever that looks like, um, you would expect 
China's, China revenue might actually fall a bit because there probably are some Chinese consumers who are saying, well, I haven't got, you know, a relative or friend in Australia sending it back. I'll buy it from the local shop. Mm. So maybe that changes around again moving forward. Uh, but I don't think the market, including me, I don't think the market realised how much of the Australian business for both those businesses was actually being sent home mm. to China. Mm. And that's the bit that people miss. So, you know, there, I, I promise you there aren't 14% fewer Australians having black box vitamins. Mm. Um, it, is, it is a story of... Um, obviously the, the whole sense. market or, or the whole demand falling. Yep. So, you know, were, they, were, were people wrong to extrapolate? I don't think so, mate. I mean, we might have got a bit carried away. Mm. Um, certainly at 220 bucks, it was, it was carried away. But at 120, 130, 100, mm. uh, is it unreasonable to believe that at some point consumers come, or particularly expats, the suitcase show comes back? I don't think it's unreasonable, mm. no. Mm. Um, were people wrong to think it might continue forever? Well, I, get, I don't think so either. Because mm. again, you know, unless you, unless you in, in your forecast say, well, what would happen if the international borders were closed, you know, st- hard, shut hard for two years? Mm. I, I, I mean, again, if you'd done that math, you would have said, well, gee, it might be a $90 share price. Well, guess what? That's what yep, happened. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but it would have been stupidly hard to do. Yeah. So there's that. Last thing I'll say really quickly, because not everyone owns Blackmores, and I won't spend too long on it, is I do think previous management took too much for granted. Mm. And so... It's always tempting to this rush of revenue coming in to go, look at all this money. What can we do with this? I know. Let's hire more people, build more facilities. I, I wonder whether their ambitions were a little bit carried away. Now, again, as I said, they couldn't have foreseen a, a slump in demand. And so it might be in a, in a different universe. Blackmore's is a $250 share price. Their revenue is up to a billion dollars and they're selling more than half their product to China, directly or indirectly. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you want the staff, you want the supply chain, you want the labelling, you want the, the stuff you had to invest in to do it. Um, so, you know, I, it's, I find it hard to be directly critical of it for those reasons. Mm. I think that's the challenge. Um, so, yeah, look, if, if the Chinese consumers don't come back directly or indirectly, then yes, the shares are too expensive. But if you can get a 28% growth in revenue in China, and assuming that can happen again and again and again a few times... If you can double or triple or quadruple your size in China, it does really start to make a meaningful mm. difference. So I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't rule it out. I don't think this pri- I own shares, so obviously I don't think this price is too expensive. It does require some recovery, but I think that recovery is likely rather than mm. not. Personally, that's why I own the shares. Anyway. Mm, interesting. Does that make yep, sense? Interesting. Cool, cool. All right, let's get to another question then, one that's not Blackmores related. Uh, a question from Percy. I am not sure whether Percy's being, uh, this is on Twitter, I'm not sure whether Percy's having a dig, a subtle dig, or whether it's a genuine question. Um, neither, either is fine, by the way, Percy. I don't mind whichever one you want to go with. Uh, Percy says, hi, Scott and Andrew. I'm loving the new podcast. Thank you, mate. I've got a question about corporate travel management. I'm looking at the trailing PE. What does it mean when a number is negative or close to zero? <laughs> I'm not sure if he's having a dig at me that I own the shares and I've talked about it and it's not making a loss. It could be that or it could be a genuine question. Either is fine, Percy. So if it's a genuine question, my apologies for assuming otherwise. And if you're having a, a subtle dig, that's completely okay too, mate. It's a, it's a, it's a worthwhile question. We'll answer it anyway. Mm-hmm. Do you want to first go with this yeah, one, Yeah, it's an easy one. Um, so it's, it's, just a, it's just a ratio. It is, it's in the name. It's the price to earnings ratio. So you put price on one. We all know what that is. That's just whatever it is on the share market. And we divide that by the, the earnings per share. So how do you get yep. how do you get to zero? Um, well, you get to zero because the share price is at zero. Um, that's that's the way that you do that. How do you get negative? Well, you can't have a negative share price, so it means you've got negative earnings. And at which at which point it's right. a pretty meaningless kind of measure. Um, mm. But that's 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 all it is. Mm. So what what is more uh, in uh, holds more information. This is where you can go wrong with trailing PEs. Mm-hmm. And what's probably better, it might be, I don't know what the proper term would be, but maybe a look-through PE, where it's the price yeah. divided by 
what the average earnings per share may be in the cycle, you know, give or take. Yep. You're just sort of, sort of trying to normalise that number a little bit. That's that's a big part of what I do actually with investing. It's looking at a company's results, yeah, but it's trying to put that into context of, you know, take away a few extraneous sort of yeah, factors nice. that have sort of impacted this. If you're looking at a retailer, yeah, you might yeah. sort of say, well, this was the number. And we talked about it before. Right? Yeah. This is why their PEs are so yeah. are so low yeah. is because yeah. is because the market <laughs> is basically saying, well, the EPS, the thing that's on the denominator, the thing that's underneath it is, ab- is abnormally high. So we're going to sort of we're yeah. going to we're going to change that a little bit. So I think I think that is a f- yeah. I think PEs are wonderful because there's just such a lovely rule of thumb and a quick quick hack. Mm-hmm. You can say PE of 100, well it's just much more expensive than a PE of 10. Or is it? But it's it's one of those things that when once you've got a a general understanding of the business <laughs> and the proposition and what's made that number up, it's actually really handy. But the, the devil is always in the detail. And you need to sort of that, – that, the good thing about the PE is only two numbers you have to investigate. Well, one's the share price and one's the EPS. Mm-hmm. And what, why, which, which factor is sort of dominant in giving me this result and what does that mean? Um, so it's always a question, I think, when you, whenever you look at – take the other side. When you look at companies with, with mm-hmm. eye-watering high PEs, um, yeah. Well, that's just because the price is so much bigger than the actual earnings per share. But maybe that makes a hell of a lot of sense if earnings are doubling every six months. So you just, it just sort of, I think it's a really good place to start. But then you ask why, yeah. and you'll find that generally it'll come back to some expectation <laughs> on what the earnings per share of the business are going to be, or are, are more normally likely to be. Does that make sense? I think that's, I think that's right. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I think the hard thing with PEs is going from minus one to plus one in a PE is a really, 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 really enormous job. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because, you know, normally if, if you're talking about negative numbers and you go from plus one to minus one just in, in, in a number line, I'm, I'm a parent of eight-year-olds, so I know all about number lines at the moment, <laughs> you kind of, it's two, two more or two less, right? You, got, you, jump, you jump two directions, two in one direction. Minus one PE simply means the company's losing money. And so a negative PE, okay, you've got to work out, as you said, mate, what the future earnings potential looks like. A PE of one, though, Again, not everything is clear, but in a, in a normal case, would be a super a stupid cheap company, and so you kind of go from loss making. Do you want to buy it at all? To one which is like, oh man, this is you know, I'm buying the whole business mm. for one year's worth of profit. Mm. That's that's amazingly cheap, assuming that profit's sustainable, which is what you just talked about. And so it's kind of really hard, right? There's you can't you can't assume a straight line relationship between from minus one hundred to plus one hundred. Mm. That that you know that there's some that something gets slightly better or slightly worse as you go along those mm. lines. Because it really, really changes once you flick from negative to positive. Yep. I would say negative PE is obviously a loss-making company. Um, and as Andrew says, you know, do what you can to, to work out what some sort of normal earnings, either either, either normalised, so it's through a cycle, or underlying earnings. So zero, for example, lost a fortune for a very long time, but the economics were so obviously clear that it was trading on a, on a sky-high market cap, still a negative PE because earnings were zero or negative. Um, but, but you know, you could kind of look at the earnings power and say, oh, well, in so many years, this is going to be worth a fortune. Mm. And do that math for yourself, which is the underlying stuff you're talking about, mate. We get to a PE that's low but positive. Generally speaking, that suggests that a company is cheap. So a PE of eight would be much better to pay than a PE of twelve for the same company in the same circumstances, because you're simply buying. In one case, you're buying eight times earnings. So you make hundred dollars a year. You're buying the business for eight hundred dollars, or you buy it for twelve times earnings for twelve hundred dollars. And if it's the same business, you want to buy it for lower rather than higher. Um, but once you get negative, then, it, then the whole thing kind of gets screwy. So uh, you kind of got to think about it in batches to my mind. Yes, and I, I love – another way to envisage this is is think about it in terms of payback periods because that's another way of thinking about yeah. PE. So PE of one basically says, I buy this thing today, I'll make all of my money yeah. back in, in the first year just in profit. 
Right. So, yes, so, so the, the inverse right. of the PE is the earnings yield. So a PE of one is an earnings yield of a hundred. So much more useful. I don't know why we the whole yeah. the whole industry retail investors would be much better off if we all talked earnings yields rather than PE. Same one. number. Just just flip it. So it's yeah. earnings on yeah. top of yeah. price. So so when you see so mm-hmm. a PE of twenty, um, twenty yep. over one is one over twenty is an earnings yield of zero point. Sorry, is five percent. So what you're saying right. is I'm buying this thing and I'm getting a five. Now I'm not. It's, you've got to be careful here. It's not a dividend yield. I'm not getting that in cash. But in terms of yeah, the owner yeah. of this business, the, the the business itself is making a 5% return. So it's a much more useful number. So that, I, 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 wanted, so much I wanted to make that point. The other one, when it when yeah. you get negative, the magnitude of the number is, mm. is don't think about it. It doesn't make sense. So think about it this useless, way. Yeah. If, you're, make, if yeah. you're a business and you lose one cent, you make a loss of one cent, your PE is going to be negative to six squillion. Whereas if you lose yes, four right. trillion dollars, yeah. it's going to be a right. negative number, but it's going to be a very low PE. Right. So it's just it's, me- yeah, it's right. meaningless. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. once once yes. you get to the negative, frankly, once you get below five or something like that, because something is the market's not that silly to leave it at twenty percent earnings yield yes, on the that's, table. That's so problem. once you get yeah. so frankly, once you start to get below about ten, you've got to ask yourself why is the thing so cheap? And once it's below zero, just ignore it altogether. You might be better with a price to sales ratio or something like that. Uh, but that's a whole other yeah. kettle of fish with lots of lots of <laughs> potential pitfalls. It really is. My my general way, mate, to to think about these businesses is you mentioned kind of normalized. I my my phrase I use internally and, and trying to use our members is uh, underlying earnings power. Yeah. Yep. So when you strip away either one-off impacts, like um, ready for go drink your hand, Kogan drink. Uh, that that had they, the management reckon they did about fifty million dollars of underlying profit. The reported numbers are about. 18 or mm-hmm. 15 mm-hmm. because they had a couple of one-offs that, that simply you know won't happen again. Now, assuming they don't happen again, then maybe they do, right? So plenty of management say things are one-off and it happens every three years. Right. But let's assume, let's assume it's genuinely one-off. Yeah. The underlying earnings power is much higher than the reported profit in that yes. case. Other, other businesses, as Andrew said, they're making losses and maybe even losses for years. You're looking at a business like an Amazon saying, potentially, I own shares in Amazon. Looking forward, you say, okay, well, I can see a time in, this is back in 1998 or 2005, I can see a time in 2021 where Amazon is doing $100 billion in sales. And at that point, I think, you know, it's going to be a very, very good chance of having a decent level of profitability. So therefore, I will pay a lot now, even though it's got a negative PE, because I want the future business, because I think it's going to be much, much bigger and more profitable at some point in the future. And I'm prepared to wait for that to happen. And so you might pay, again, the underlying earnings power. So what is this business going to earn at some sort of steady state, normalised or not normalised, but when it goes to business as usual rather than this massive growth phase? Um, so Afterpay is another example of that. Yeah. Still hasn't made a dollar, but if it can if it can get really, really, really big and earn, you know, be responsible for 5%, 6% of the, of the world's transaction volumes and at some sort of reasonable level of, I don't know, 10% profit margin, wow, you start to see what that could be worth. And that's what some people are doing, why they're paying... $20 billion for a business and not making any profit. So again, negative PE, but in theory, well, I, was, I wasn't a shareholder, I'm not a shareholder, but in theory for afterpay, someone's saying, I think it's worth $20 billion because I can see a future where it's really profitable and I think that profit stream is worth something like $20 billion today and that's yeah. how that, that kind and of And it all comes to the, back to the point, isn't it? They're, they're great, these things, but you've got to use them carefully yeah. and you've got to think, you've yes, got you to think through what it means. I own companies yeah. that have negative PEs. I've got companies that have a PE of 200. Mm-hmm. I think there's the highest one I've yeah. got there at the moment. I mean, I'll make a case that it's actually probably okay at at, at that level, but it, yeah. but at least I can I I can rationalise that, and I think that's that's what you've mm-hmm. always got to do is you've got to bring it back to that expectation, and that's wonderful as well because it actually gives you uh, a metric to continue to eyeball to see if you're mm-hmm. right because if growth is not sort of 
panning out in the in the fashion that you expected, <laughs> well, yep. uh, uh, everything else is going to fall apart as well. So it's yeah, I, I think I think PEs are, are really cool, but just just go beyond. Don't don't use them just as. Uh, uh, a, a black and white kind of thing. Do you remember that Scott? That book, uh, the little book that beats the market. I do. So that one, I forget who wrote it. You might be able to remind me, but he he basically said, um, all he does is buy stocks with low PE and high return on equity. Now let's not get into that. That's yeah, another yeah. metric that's out there, <laughs> which, which is basically just a profitability measure of the business. It's really you know, yeah, it's like yeah. a PE. It's, it's the profit over the equity yep, of the yep, business. Yep. But anyway, just look at those two things and you know what? It outperforms the market over time. Um, or at least it did yeah. when he wrote the book over a long period. And it's, it's one of those things that's, <laughs> that's right. generally true. But when you actually look at the analysis of the process that he's gone through there, there's actually heaps of false positives in there. Just sort of on average it works and right. it just yes, yes, outperforms yes. the yep. market. So yeah. it's, it's yeah, well, right. I'm just making the point that, 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 that again, they're useful, but, but don't rely on them too yeah. simplistically. Yep, good advice. Uh, just quickly on, on the corporate travel one, the answer on that one is that we're having in the middle of COVID, airplanes aren't flying, no one's travelling, and so the company is simply unprofitable at the moment. Mm. I think it'll be profitable again in the future, um, but that's why the P is currently negative from what was a positive number two years ago. Now negative, might be negative again this year, eventually hopefully positive again and something. Uh, and this is again to Ram's point about normalising numbers. You've got to look and say, okay, well, obviously I'm losing money now, but if someone offered you the business, how much would you buy, buy it for if you believed that, that profit was going to return back to some sort of normal level? That's how you should be thinking about. Can I can I quickly add something? I know it's Please. a little bit hard yeah. to do um, verbally, but I, where where I really love to do it is I, I think what you could corporate travel is a great example. So no, I'm not saying this is my thesis for it, but you, you can start with something like this where you might say, "Listen, I don't know exactly what's going to happen or not, and yes, COVID's obviously going to knock them around, but I'm just going to say, for the sake of the exercise, that they're back to 2019 profits in another two or three years." Maybe it's sooner. I don't know. We could argue the toss, but but it's maybe let's just say that's what it is. And generally, when that happens, this is a company that has always tended to trade around this kind of PE multiple. Um, you, you can actually you can actually just multiply those two numbers together, and that gives you an estimate for what the share price will be in two years' time. And then you can just discount that. Well, say, well, I would want ten percent a year to invest in this, so just discount that back by ten percent. It's a really Obviously, like, like any valuation, it's like it's all these assumptions and guesses of the future. But what I love about that, and this is where I think PEs are really powerful, is, is that, I, well, no matter what approach, if I want to take a super advanced DCF, I've got to make a squillion more forecasts and assumptions. So I'm, I'm, I'm always going to have to do that. But but I simple is often I've found the more, the more I've been in this investing game, the more that the, the KISS rule applies, to keep yeah. it simple. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, just so, it's so lovely, isn't it? Because all I have to do is yeah, think yeah. two things. Yeah, One yeah, is... Yeah. It's a reasonable yeah. proposition that earnings. You know, I'm not forecasting mm. massive growth. They just be back to where they were because things things go back to normal. Yeah. And I'm not relying on the market to be in some euphoric mood. I'm just saying well, the market will probably because it always has sort of traded around those levels. Mm. Like mm. I can't know for sure, but it's not an unreasonable assumption. And all of a sudden, I've now yeah. been able to draw a line in the sand mm. where I can actually look at the current market price and say, well, is it above or below that? And if it is, if yeah. it, if it yeah. is, if it, uh, it well. One of my assumptions has to be wrong. Either the, everyone else in the market yeah, thinks yeah. the earnings are going to be higher or lower or that the market sentiment is going to be higher or lower. Um, but do you, know, do you get what I'm saying? It's just, I love it. It's such an elegant approach. It comes up all the time for us on Strongman. People say, how do you value a company? How do you value it? Well, the answer is do a highly precise discounted cash flow analysis. But but the more valuable practical one was something just like that. Just, to, just while we're talking about PE ratios, I just find it really simple. Get more advanced if you want, but it shows you exactly what you need what your expectations are based on and you don't have to sort of 
forecast anything ridiculous in 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 that to to underscore the the, the case for value. Anyway, did that make any sense? No, or did I just like ramble on? Yep. No. Perfect. No. 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 I think I think you know that. That's that, that's a, it's a, it's always worth the the thought of. And yeah, you know, we've said before. To, to use the extreme example, Jeremy Siegel from Wharton, uh, the well-known Wharton professor, said even at the beginning of the COVID outbreak that even if company profits went to zero for a year mm. before going back to normal, the share should only be worth 10% yep. less. Now, at that point, the entire market would have a P of zero, but it doesn't mean, the, doesn't mean shares are worth nothing because the long-term value, the long-term um, profitability of those businesses is obviously there. Sure. And if there's a one-off disruption, like with corporate travel, for example, you know, is it worth nothing because the, there's no earnings? No, because there are some future earnings in theory. Yep. So it kind of goes yep. there. Yep, yep, yep. No, nice one, mate. Really, really well put. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Okay, let's go to the next question, which I'm desperately trying to find. Here we go. Uh, it's, it's Rando, he calls himself. I, I imagine that might possibly be a pseudonym, but it might not. Um, Dear Scott and Andrew, thanks for the podcast and love your work as always. I've got a question about ETFs. Using VAS, which is the Vanguard Australian 300, ASX 300 ETF, as an example, I understand this is meant to track the top 300 ASX companies. However, at the same time, isn't it also traded on the ASX? and therefore subject to the normal laws of supply and demand. So what happens is in a scenario where individual share prices all boom, but people get sick of ETFs and dump it to buy the individual stocks instead? Hmm. Could you have all their underlying share prices go up while at the same time seeing the price of the ETF itself dive? He said, apologies in advance for my COVID brain. Mate, we've all got COVID brain. Don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> feel free to feel free ask as many COVID brain questions as you want because if you're wondering, there's a very, very, very good chance uh, that other people are probably wondering the same thing. So always ask the question. Uh, we love taking the chance to answer them. Mate, what happens if, if everyone loves shares and everyone hates ETFs? Do, do, the, do the share prices and the ETF price go in different directions? Theoretically, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a traded thing on the stock exchange. So, if, you know, if, if for whatever reason people who hold units in an ETF are happy to sell them for a cent <laughs> uh, and all the underlying things are worth 300% more, I mean, it's theoretically possible, but in reality it's never, ever, ever going to happen. <laughs> yeah. and, and the reason why it's never, ever going to happen is because people like free money. And um, it's, <laughs> one of my favourite economist jokes, which is, so they'll just set the bar here because it's not, doesn't mean it's funny. Um, no. But yeah, two economists are walking along and one says, oh, look, someone's left a, a $10 note on the ground. And the other one says, don't bother. If it was, if it was really there, someone would have picked it up. Um, not very funny. I get it. But the, the, point, <laughs> the point is, is that if, if we, you see such a disparity there, there will be people, and, and frankly, the operators of the ETF itself will have market makers looking to arbitrage. And even if you don't look at the ETF, there'll be people looking to take advantage of that arbitrage opportunity. Because even though I'm buying ETF, I legally own, through that structure, all of the underlying securities, which are actually bought. So I'm I'm actually buying one dollar coins for fifty cents. Mm, mm, so so exactly. people and it doesn't so have to get to it only has to get to yeah, a tiny fraction yeah, out and people yeah. will will uh, take advantage of that arbitrage opportunity. Mm, so it's mm, something mm. you just don't have to worry about. It's a really interesting thought, but you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I actually think mate, I I don't know if it would be as extreme as even your example because I'm pretty sure the market makers would step in and yeah. do their best to enforce effectively with a fair value. The, the job of the market maker in an ETF is to basically buy as many units at the fair value or sell as many units at the fair value as people well, who want to invest That's the main in point, it. you're right. So yeah. generally speaking, the, the, you're absolutely, no, you're absolutely right. The, 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 the supply and demand could theoretically over, overpower <laughs> the, the, the opportunity or the desire or the facility of a market maker to enforce that share, that, that 
permanent price. We, we've recommended ETFs before at the, the Motley Fool and we always say, hey, wait till about 20 past 10 in the morning before you place your orders because you'll mm. get the market average price or the, the fair value price, I should say, as long as the market maker isn't overwhelmed by a rush of demand or a rush of supply. Yep. And so in that case, you, you may have some short-term issues. It could, I mean, there is... <sighs> I, I only hes- I hesitate to mention it because not, it's like so stupidly unlikely that we'll probably get hit by an asteroid first. But there is a, there is a possibility that a market maker simply fails in its duty, and so it is possible things go further in one direction or the other, accidentally. Um, and that's fine. It is what it is. Um, it's it's but, just never going to be meaningful, though. Anyway, yeah, even correct. if it does, yes. for, even if it's there's got, a perturbation of some degree, exactly. it's right. not going right. to last long. That's right. Um, and it's not going to be to any degree that turns it from a good investment to a bad investment. Yep, yep, yep. Exactly. So that that's absolutely true. But but you know, it's a, it's a it's a good question, a fair question, and then hopefully we've given you a, a decent answer. One from Nick. Hi, uh, Scott and Andrew. Thanks as always. Oh, for God's sake! Thanks as always for delivering such quality content. My question is for Ram. Hey, <sighs> Nick, 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 Nick. Have you not listened to my podcast? It's my podcast. I'm Andrew's podcast. It's my bloody. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. All right, I'll let you ask a question for Ram. This is really good, mate, because uh, it's okay. actually part investing, but it's part business owner. And you're you're obviously the owner and managing director of Strawman.com. So you're a, you're a man who is a small business owner and operator. Here he says, my question is for Ram. I have a small but growing online business. It became profitable recently, which was really great. Congratulations, Nick. Uh, that's not easy to do, particularly well done, in these circumstances. That is, yeah, yeah. But in order to keep it growing, I need to reinvest those profits plus more. I would love to know your thoughts and maybe your strategy around how you allocate money to invest in other companies while in growing your own business that requires funding too. Thanks, Nick. Now, Andrew, I'm not going to ask you to be um, to, to give away anything you don't want to give away. I'm not going to pry into your own life or what you want to do. But to the extent you feel comfortable answering Nick's question, he's right. You've, you've got two two needs. You've got a business you're trying to grow. You're also trying to, in theory, build a, a share portfolio, and and both of those maybe separately or together, hopefully mm-hmm. help to to fund your Teslas and yachts and uh, all that sort of stuff you're going to buy when when straw man goes through the roof and it's listed on the ASX and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, how do you, how do you, <laughs> what advice can you give Nick about how you think about investing in your own business versus allocating in uh, versus investing in you know your own share portfolio and doing something different? Oh, I love this question. This question is excellent. We actually answered it. Well, I think it might have been last week. We had this again a tangent on a tangent on a tangent <laughs> where we're no. talking about uh, the, the CEO's role being one of capital. Allocation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Uh, I, I think I think that's the same answer here. So I think whenever you look at that, you've got a bit of extra money. The question there's there's always an opportunity cost. Do I put it back in the business? Do yes, I put yeah. it in shares? And the answer is is very easy to define, but very hard to know. You're gonna think um, it depends, aren't you? I, w- which one has the better <laughs> return potential? So if I've got it, look now, I'm going to assume that there's enough. The, the business is, has enough cash flow to, to at least be of a steady state. So you, if, yeah, if, yeah, you, yeah, you'll yeah. you'll be able to maintain whatever earnings flow is there. So this is a question of what you might call growth or a capex, something like that, where it's all right. This is money, extra money to expand the business. <laughs> well, that's yeah. that comes back to what you think you can get as a return on that business. So if you can keep it in the business mm, or add some more mm. of your own money and put that into the business and get a 20% mm, return mm, on that mm. with high degree of confidence, forget the share market. Like, you know, unless unless you've got some mm, massive mm. weighting consideration where 99.9% of everything is in the business and you've got, you know, you need a little bit of balance there. But, but absolutely mm. do that. Um, if it turns out that so much money has been wasted in corporate Australia on the ASX by people reinvesting profits, trying to grow an existing business just by just by pure uh, unimaginative uh, mm. reasons or just unwilling to sort of distribute the cash or feel as though you need to grow an empire or something like that. Always yeah. look at through the hard the hard lens of 
of returns. If you can't be reasonably confident of a good return, the answer mm. for a CEO is always pay it out in dividends and put it somewhere mm. else. We'll let investors yeah. put it somewhere else or keep it and, 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 and continue to make. The best returns that you will always mm. get, we always talk about you know, shares versus property versus bond. You know, the best ones are always your, your own business. Um, <laughs> you think about the advantages a CEO has. We, we often look, talk about, <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, I wonder, wonder yeah. what's going on in the boardroom of this company. Well, you are. You are the for a small business. You are the boardroom. You know everything. Mm-hmm. You've got this huge informational advantage, and it's and, and you're you're in prime position to seize it. So if you've got opportunity there, especially where you're going to be the person who captures almost all of the upside, if not all of it, then I, I would I would lean towards that. But if if it's just adding growth capex. For the sake of it, without a good re- uh, and risk-adjusted return expectation, chuck it in the market. That's okay. Right. I'm going to ask you one question, follow-up though, because mm-hmm. I think I, I agree with you rationally. If you're a small business owner, you're in theory in that small business because you think, believe, hope, um, desire uh, that you're going to be the next something, uh, Twiggy Forest or Dick Smith or uh, yeah, any any size or scale you want. How, how do you? How should our listeners think about? Do you have to kind of you, – you, you believed in this business so much you resigned from the Motley Fool to go and start it, right? So that's a really, really big deal. You've gone like, you know what? I've got this great idea. I want to go and do it. You have to have an amazing, amazing amount of confidence. Arguably, entrepreneurs, by definition, have to be overconfident because if you kind of step back and went, well, it might fail. If it fails, I won't have any money and I'm getting paid now, so I guess I should stay. The, the oh, confidence- dude, na- naivety and hubris are the two biggest drivers of well, entrepreneurs. Right. And, and I, I, yeah. don't even mean, I don't even mean that um, – I don't even mean that – Directly as a, as a, as a Christmas, it's like we'd never no, get anything. If, if Steve Jobs, no, didn't no one would do it. No one would start it if you knew how right. hard and stressful right, exactly. it was in advance. You would never do it. You know? And so, I guess that's my question, right? Is like, how do you how do you handicap your own feelings when it comes to or how should you or, or can you when it comes yeah. to that? So you're, you're saying rationally, I agree. If you said to me, look, I you know, if you if you gave me the job of CFO of Strawman.com and said Strawman can either reinvest itself to grow or we can take the extra cash, we can go and invest in a portfolio of company shares. I'd yeah. say to you as the CEO, okay, mate, here's what I see in the business. And you're like, yeah, but, but, but this story thing is going to be great. It's going to be huge. I'm like, well, I can get you yeah. a 10% return plus franking credits and, in the yeah. market. And in fact, if we pick stocks really well, I get 15%. And it's not guaranteed, but it's a pretty good chance. We've had a good track yeah. record, but I want to invest in the business. Yeah, but over yep. here, like we're having that conversation yep. around the board, board table, right? How, how, do you, how do you think about your own, your own self in your own head? How do you kind of discount the the, the hubris to, your, to your, use your word, um, but also not undervalue that because if you don't grow, you are going to kill it by definition. So you do have there's so much more going on psychologically, emotionally, as much as there is purely rationally. That's right? So hard. It's it's so. Hard. I think that well, it's all it's it's about trying to be as honest with yourself as you can. You know that this is this is the trouble is because it's a sunk cost. Um, there's all kinds of, we talk about behavioral implications all the time. And that, that's just the problem. It might not rationally make sense, but you're going to keep plowing money into it for pride or for ego or for just, you know, s- stupid optimism or, or whatever it happens to be. And I think that's, that's where the, what I was saying before breaks down. So you do have to be honest with yourself. You do need to be right. objective so that you can sort of say, say that, no, this is a sensible allocation of, mm-hmm. of capital. Um, uh, yeah, but so, so I've always we've had this conversation over the years as well. I've always said I mean, when I first started Strawman, it was completely the, the highest risk point ever was was at the very beginning, but there was only a relatively small amount of capital allocated to it, and I convinced myself <laughs> that if things didn't work out in the right way, that I would I would pull up stumps. Right. And, 
And, you know, no, no point throwing good money after bad at that point. Exactly. So that's, the, that's the hard part, right? That's the hard part. So, but then, you know, for whatever reason, things, things went okay. And so now the capital allocation decisions in 2021 are very different from 2018. Mm-hmm. But, but I'd like to, and this is, this is where I might be completely kidding myself, I'd like to think that I'm still able to make those decisions based objectively on where we are now and what, mm-hmm. what's happening and what the opportunities are. Yes, yeah. very high. I mean, the, the near guarantee of somewhere close to 10% over the long term in the market is something you always have mm-hmm. to contrast it with. But at the yeah. same time, mm-hmm. as long as you're being reasonable and it's got it's got enough sort of upside potential to, to justify all that extra, the, the opportunity cost and all the work and stress, then I think mm-hmm. you can make a sensible decision. Just be honest with yourself. If it's not working, the, the best thing you can, there's no point throwing good money after bad. If it's not working, d- d- get out. Start something else. Do anything else, but just just stop. <laughs> when you when you find yourself in a hole, stop digging, stop digging. is the answer. <laughs> well done, well done. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Mate, let's finish with the question for Lucas. It's a question we've had a little bit before. Um, in fact, Lucas kind of says that we've already answered the question, or at least he thinks he knows what our answer is, but I'll ask it because he asked it. Uh, and again, as I said before, if he's asking, other people are obviously asking the same thing. And maybe... I'm going to start without even asking the question by saying uh, it, uh, this might be a complete waste of time, Lucas. If you if you already made up your mind because you've asked the question, despite knowing what we think, uh, I'm not sure if you're waiting for us to change our minds so you can change yours or or, or be confirmed, or whether you're desperately trying to be talked out of something. But we'll give it a red hot go. Lucas says, "Hi, Scott. I recently joined Extreme Opportunities, which is a monthly full service, uh, and thinking about joining Share Advisor soon too. Thank you. Question for the podcast: With the current new highs in, and he mentioned some ETF, so I, I assume I haven't looked, but I'm sure he's right. Uh, because the indices are hitting all-time highs, he's got the S&P 500, a Nasdaq ETF, and an Australian Shares ETF. So obviously, if those indices are hitting highs, the ETF should be too. It makes sense. Which I really want to put also a large chunk of money into, as I'm about to inherit some extra dollars. I can't help." feel there could be a sizable drop in the near future. As we all never like to buy at the highest of highs and a high PE, I probably know your answer and Rams also, but it still plays on my mind. <laughs> the dollars I will inherit, uh, I invest to keep, I plan to keep there for at least two years and hopefully another 20 years whilst adding extra money along the way. He says, I sadly missed out on Strawman Premium also, but still have a free account. There you go. Oh, cool. He said, I invest smaller amounts regularly in dollar cost average, but when it comes to a lumpier sum, dropping it at all-time highs, I'm finding it hard with the larger sum, even though I won't need it once the inheritance comes in as a purely long-term play. Mm. He knows what I'm going to say. He knows what you're going to say. Can you say it differently so it sounds different? <sighs> we all feel that, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we There's do. always something, we and sometimes we're right. You know, it's just yeah. this. This is yeah. this is again the the challenge, right? It, it, Lucas knows intellectually what the answer is. <laughs> Emotionally, it's a very different <laughs> exactly. thing, and it and yep. it, it just is. And it's a real, it's a yep. super Spot real on. thing. It is, yep. it, it is <clears throat> carnal almost. I don't know what yes. the word is. It just it's it's so primal. Yeah, I, yeah. primal. Thank you. Is the word I'm looking for. Um, I think it's a different thing. I think. <laughs> My mind was just I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to Google. If, you, if you're under a certain age and you don't know what that word means, don't look it up. It's, it, he, he, means, he means primal. Right. Yeah, no, de- yeah, I've just Googled kindly. You definitely used the wrong word. Let's, let's go back to... Let's go back to... <laughs> well, oh, maybe. Maybe for some people it's kindly. I don't know. I don't know. Welcome but it's, to the last very... ever episode of Motley Fool Money before we get taken off air. You have been listening to Andrew Page, who doesn't know the difference between Carnal and Pride. That, that word and Scott of the day, Phillips, who is desperately trying to dig him out of a hole as we speak. <laughs> that word of the and day, you know what? Just quietly, mate, I want my money back. Yeah. Just quietly, they've lasted almost an hour. If you have, congratulations! You've actually you've earned you've earned the laugh. So there you go. <laughs> that you should never ever turn this podcast off early. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Uh, all right, so let's, right assume right it's a, let's assume it's a primal feeling. It's, of not it's a very primal 
Thrival feeling for summer carnival. I don't know. Whatever you're into. Um, uh, hey, stop digging. Stop digging. Just stop digging. Um, yeah. yeah, just forget it. Just forget it. And as I said, oh, the, 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 we've said it. We've said it a million times before too. Is it just like the, the? You'll know exactly what you should have done in two years' time. Um, but if you just want to play it safe, put a bit in mm. now. Wait a mm. couple of months. Put it just 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 dollar cost average it in. And that that, that way, if there is a, a fall, you'll still have some money to take advantage of, and you won't have put it all in beforehand. Um, I gave that to my brother-in-law as advice a few mm. years ago. Um, turned out to be really bad advice. You should have just chucked the whole lot in at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the hard part, right? So I just, I'm going to put that out there because that, that can also be a big regret. But at the same time, was it the wrong thing to do? No, it just, it just meant that there was much lower immediate downside. So that, that in everything we do in life, not just in investing, but particularly in investing, it's, it's, mm. it's just trade-offs. It's trade-offs. I can put it all in a, in a term deposit and have zero risk of losing it or I can put it all in the next biotech specy and make a squillion dollars. But, but the trade-off is I could lose it all. That, that is always, always the, the thing. And so this is, Lucas, your trade-off mm-hmm. is back your gut and <laughs> wait right. till the market falls and, and then That's back your right. gut again to, to buy in at the, at the yeah. bottom. Maybe yeah. you can do that. Um, or or just <laughs> and get it, or get it horribly wrong and, and really regret it, or just dollar cost average and know that it'll end up being okay. And you might, yes, it'll always look back with hindsight and say I could have done better, but at mm-hmm. least you know you've done you've done you've played it pretty sensibly. Yeah, that's exactly right. So look, you know, it, it's there is no there is no truth only perception, right? There is no reality, only a perception of reality. And so, how's that for how's that for um, philosophical after an hour? Yeah, love it. I got I got I got to get us back from your comment before, mate. I got to try to be, be, be you know, <laughs> sound intelligent and uh, and what's it cerebral. Um, I'm gonna careful what my I'm choosing now. I just want to make sure I'm choosing the right words. <laughs> you can choose go. the I, right words. Yeah. If I put my foot in as well, I'm off air as well as you. Um, all right. So so here's the thing. So um, yes, it, it's all you know. Perception is reality. The I, for myself, I have on three separate occasions invested for myself or others in my family large amounts of money for different circumstances. Um, I had sold some Motley Fool shares and had a lump sum. Uh, I had invested for both my mother and my mother-in-law with large large sums, effectively taking super out of what was then a managed super into a self-managed super scenario. In all three cases, I've invested everything straight away. Mm-hmm. And that's simply because mathematically – we know the market goes up more than it goes down. It goes up more frequently than it goes down. And so mathematically, the best option in my mind, and it just is statistically true, is the longer you wait, the lower your potential returns. Now, the problem with that, so I've done it because I believe in the average, I'm happy to go with it. The problem with that is if you only do it once or twice or even three times, you only get one bite at the cherry. You can't have an average coin toss if you only toss it once. You'll get 100% heads or 100% tails, right? Yep. It doesn't matter the average is 50%. It doesn't matter at all. If you toss it once, you can't get a 50% result. So... That to Andrew's point, this is exactly the problem. I've heard explained to me that spending, choosing a period of time, a bit like yours, Andrew, choosing a period of time is psychologically more doable because if you invest some and the market drops, you've still got some left to invest at lower prices, so you win. If you invest some and the market goes up, well, at least you've made money on what you've already invested, so mm-hmm. you win. And it's completely like, it, 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 you're messing with your own head. You are literally sh- you know, shrinking your own head to use that, that horrible uh, expression. Uh, you know, you, you're messing with yourself, right? And, mm-hmm. and a human's ability to mess with our own brains is really, really impressive. So oh, if yeah. you want to do it slowly, you can at least take the win if the price goes up or you can take the opportunity if the prices go down and you're like, oh, great, I win either way. Now you also lose either way, but it depends how you want to frame it. Um, so look, if, if I go, give it a million dollars tomorrow, I would invest it the day after. I just would. Yeah. I, not because I know what's going to happen, the other thing, by the way, Andrew mentioned, I think it might have been Friday's pod, wasn't it, mate, when you, you simply said, even allowing for the COVID fall, the market's up, you know, 17% over the last 20 months. 
So even if you had invested on that day, or not exactly that day, but 1st of January, you're still up. You mm. still made money, even though you had to live through, your million dollars would be 620 at one point. I mean, that's got to hurt, right? Seeing 400 grand go up in flames in a month and a half, Oof. that's about as brutal as you want to you want to get. But you're now at 1.2. So again, you know, you've got to have stayed the course, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, you would like to have invested on March 23. But if on March 23, you've been given the money, you said, I'm not going to invest it, I'm going to invest it slowly. Well, the market's up 50% since then. And so every day you waited effectively, cost you a lot of money. Your million would have been a million and a half by now if you'd invested it then and something less than that if you'd invested it more slowly. There is no perfect answer, Lucas. There really, really isn't, mate. Um, as I said, if, if you're the sort of person, and it sounds like you are, I would go with the heads you win, tails you win, which is invested over time, as Andrew's already said, um, because the money that's in there, if the market goes up, you've already made money, which is great. And if the market goes down, you can, you can invest the rest of it at lower prices. And that's, that might, for most people, be the best trick. As I said, I just I, I, I'm I'm built a certain way, which means I can. And if I, I would have hated the fact if I'd invested a million dollars in, you know, uh, April, February nineteen, and said four to six twenty, I would have hated it, hated it, hated it. But I wouldn't have done anything differently, and I would have been back now above a million dollars, and would be like, well, that kind of sucked. But there we are. I'm, I'm still ahead. Yep. So uh, I, I would I would do it. Yep. The, the other Everyone's thing, just to, just to mess with Lucas's head a little bit more, is that <laughs> sorry, Lucas, is that. Well, Choose your words carefully, Andrew, after last time. Please. You could be 100% right. So the point that he's making here, though, is it's not just – he's actually making the point that we know that PEs are high and markets are at, at record yep. highs and that as well. Yep. So, and, and, and by inference, I'm sort of you – know, he's basically saying things are expensive. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's 100% right. And maybe yeah. he can know that he's 100% right. But one of the weird yep. things about markets is, is that – What's the saying, mate? Um, the market can remain irrational longer than <laughs> yeah. you can remain solvent. Remain solvent, correct, I yes. love uh-huh. that. And so <laughs> so look, look at any of the major sort mm-hmm. of collapse. Look, go back go back mm-hmm. to the GFC. I mean, there were people calling that years in advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. That's who right. were right. We know, yep. at the time, we didn't know. We, but yep. historically, we know that they were jumping up and down saying the world is going to end. And they were right, but they were too early. Yes, and so so that's that, that's that's even more frustrating. Where it's just sort of like it's not as though you had some bad read on reality, and and that's why you didn't do well. It's actually no, you you read you read the lay of the land perfectly. It's just that the market continued to ignore the obvious for longer than you expected, and by the time it does crash, it probably got back to where you were anyway. So it's sort of it's it's really 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 hard for all of those for all of those reasons, which is why I just err on the yeah, as you say, heads I win, tails I win. Yep, I think that makes perfect sense. And again, you know, you want to you want to do whatever is going to help you sleep at night, and frankly, keep you invested, right? You don't want to, uh, you know, there will have been some people I don't know who they are. Hopefully, there weren't many of them who invested a million dollars and well, not, but you know, in some money on February nineteen last year, went to March twenty three. They lost, you know, a third of it, and they pulled the money out. Went, this is ridiculous. Oh, I'm, I'm sure heaps people. of people did, heaps of people. And it's just like it's just a horrible, horrible thing. If you're going to do that, don't. So yeah, do do what you need to do to get yourself through the investing journey with as little risk of <sighs> capitulation, I'll call it. So, you know, either doing something silly or just simply giving up or whatever, um, whatever it needs to get you through that, that's what I'd probably suggest you do. Mm. Nice. And on that note, mate, we are going to finish for another week while uh, we see whether we're still... We, we may or may not be back next Friday, depending on what the census say. <laughs> so after see what the census comment. say. We will <laughs> we'll see. Um, this, this, this podcast never used to have a language warning. It may have to from next week. We'll see what happens. In the meantime... Could, could have been another C you, word. That's all I'll say. It could oh, have been dear. Worse, mate. Dig, In the dig, me- dig. Oh, I could get off here. I could get off here. In the meantime, 
Uh, and maybe forever if we're never back. But if, we, if we're never back, you can at least follow us on the socials. So on Twitter, follow Andrew at Sage underscore Simeon. He will try desperately not to be offensive there. Or you can follow Strawman at Strawman Invest. That's Strawman, not, not Andrew Page, different entities in case you're looking to censor one of them. Probably, I think you'd choose him rather than the business. So at Strawman Invest. You can follow me on Twitter and Insta at TMF Scott P. Same handle for both. The Motley Fool's handle on both is the same at The Motley Fool AU. You can jump on Facebook at um, slash Scott Phillips Money. The Motley Fool is slash The Motley Fool Australia. We have a YouTube channel. We have another podcast, The Good Oil with Scott Phillips. Uh, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't mind checking it out because it basically makes me feel better and uh, no one likes to have their podcast cancelled. So do me a favour if you wouldn't mind. Follow that particular <laughs> podcast. Yeah, check it In out. In the it's meantime, and until next Friday, full on. See you later. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.